Welcome into NSN. Anthony Resnick, uh, controlling things behind the scenes. Uh, Rail City Todd, Todd Dreamer from Rail City Casino in the Rail City Alehouse will join us. And of course, he's going to want to talk hockey, Chris. I mean, we've got a game seven with uh, the Knights in the Wild coming up. So some exciting things to talk about there. And he's, uh, he wants to talk about Chris Paul and whether or not he's jinxed in the playoffs, you know, when it comes to the injury bug. And I may ask him about Russell Westbrook, about, you know, somebody throwing popcorn at Russell Westbrook. It reminded me of uh, the, the old Pacers jumping into the stands. It wasn't as bad as that, but uh, you know, don't throw popcorn at Russell Westbrook. I mean, I, I get that though. I get that. But let's, uh, let's start off with some uh, university news. Uh, this is disappointing to me because I really wanted to see this young man play for Nevada. And I thought he was going to be an integral piece of this team. Addison Patterson, um, we have been told by the university, uh, you've been chasing this story. I've been chasing this story. And it sounds like, well, it doesn't sound like he is no longer with the team. That's a four-star transfer from Oregon who was going to eat up a bunch of minutes. He was a top 50 prospect coming out of high school in 2019. And he's somebody that there had been a lot of rumors about. I did ask Nevada specifically on Monday, whether he was still a member of the team. And I was told by the Wolfpack that he is still a member of the team. Then I got a call yesterday. So two days later saying he's no longer a member of the team. So definitely just had to maybe cross some T's and dot some I's, but uh, Addison did spend this last semester with Nevada. He committed to the Wolfpack in November and then joined the team officially in January and practiced with the team and was going with school. It just was not a cultural fit. Addison did have some issues at Oregon. He was suspended for a game and then left after his freshman season. So a very talented player originally from Canada, you know, potentially a guy who could have played in the NBA, but now you've seen him wash out of two programs pretty quickly. So will he ever be able to turn that potential into production and be a very good college player? That's going to be up to him and the decisions that he makes moving forward. But uh, Nevada just felt like it wasn't going to work. So it was a mutual parting. I'm sure they will try and help him find another school. But I did put a, a story on our website earlier Earlier this month called the Mark McLaughlin All-Stars, which was a list of players who signed with Nevada, maybe even spent a semester or two here, but never actually played for the Wolfpack. And I think you can put Addison Patterson right in that starting lineup. I mean, this is a guy that everybody had really high hopes for. He was one of the reasons Nevada had potential top 25 expectations entering this season. And now he's never going to play for Nevada. So that is a huge blow. It does open up one more scholarship. And a kid by the name of A.J. Brahma, who was a, had Nevada as a finalist, will be making his decision on where he's going to school on Friday. So AJ originally had picked Arizona State over Nevada in March. So you can just never track where these kids are. And for me, it takes a lot of fun out of college athletics. I mean, when you can't just set a roster and this is our roster, um, you know, I get it. And I get players wanting to move around and I get the, uh, programs having to make decisions. But, you know, it's not the college athletics I grew up with. And I don't want to be like old man, you know, kind of yelling against the clouds. But it just can't be fun for Wolfpack uh, fans to never know who's on their roster from one week to the next and not really have an idea of what their team's going to look like. And it can't be any fun for coaches as well. Yeah, there's a thing on, on the interwebs that, you know, that tweet didn't age well. Well, this is a quote that didn't age well. And, and it's not Coach Alford's fault by any stretch is that, you know, yep, our roster, I, I believe our roster is set. Well, it, it's not. And if, if Brahma doesn't make that, you know, move to Nevada, Nevada's sitting this late with a scholarship in hand. You know, it's not perfect, but if there is somebody out there that is a transfer or maybe a late committing freshman, you know, it, could it be a, a good thing? Is I mean, is there a silver lining to this? 
If they don't get Brahma, no, I don't think it's a good thing. I think Patterson's potential and the fact that he still had three years of eligibility made him a really intriguing player and made Nevada want to jump on him as quickly as they did. Now, if they get AJ Brahma, I mean, he's a guy who averaged 20 and 10 last year at Robert Morris before quitting on his team halfway through the season. So that kind of tells you something about the kid that he would leave his team halfway through the season. Um, not to say that Nevada doesn't want him and won't be making a push to get him. There were some academic things they were trying to sort through the first time around. And I think AJ really would have liked to come to Nevada now that finals have passed for this second semester. Maybe his ac academic portfolio is in a different position and he's able to get into Nevada and join the team. But um, yeah, I mean, they, they find somebody who's good. Maybe they don't use it right now. I mean, you could save it for a mid-year transfer and just wait until something there pops. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not great because the guy spent a semester with you. You invested into him. You said, we're going to give you this scholarship and we're going to believe that you can, you know, be a really quality player for us. So it was a, a misrecruit. I mean, if you spend half a semester on a kid and you're giving him scholarship money uh, and you're investing practice time and it doesn't work out and he never plays for you, that's never a good thing. But, uh, you know, the roster is still in a pretty good spot moving forward. It's not like, you know, Nevada doesn't have a chance to win the Mountain West now, especially if they go out and they add a really quality player with this lab. That's a kid from Florida Atlantic that Nevada officially signed this week, but had had committed two weeks ago. I mean, he's basically a similar player. I don't think he's as good potentially as Addison Patterson, but I think the culture will be a lot better because he comes from a basketball family and is a very hard worker. Six foot six kid who I think can do a lot of different things on the court. So that guy goes from someone who probably wasn't going to play a ton at Nevada to a guy who's probably going to play 25, 30 minutes per game this upcoming season. So, you know, things are going to always be fluid with rosters nowadays. That's how college athletics is. And, uh, you know, Nevada will be on the hunt for another player and maybe that will officially set the roster. We've seen Trey Wade commit and then decommit. We've seen Addison Patterson leave the team. We've seen AJ Brahma's saga kind of dry out. So, uh, you know, I guess it keeps us, uh, you know, with something to talk about during what is typically a dry period if you go back a couple of years in college basketball. Yeah, and, and you know what, man? Hey, em embrace being the old man in your driveway yelling at a cloud. I've, I've embraced that. I, I miss the way that the way that you, you would have someone come in and play for four years for you or a Juco transfer who would have a second chance and, and be able to play for a couple of years for you. But the, the landscape of college sports, period, has changed dramatically. Um, the University of Nevada uh, found out, uh, yeah, the athletic department found out uh, yesterday, or at least recently, I'm sure it happened way before we recorded it, um, that the university itself, the University of Nevada, Reno, will be helping them when it comes to this COVID-19 shortfall. And it's not a small number, Chris. This is a, a good amount of dollars that are going to be going to the athletic department, and it couldn't come at a better time. So yeah, I unearthed this yesterday. So basically how it works is the Nevada and UNLV athletic departments have to go before the board of regents every year and kind of report on their fiscal year and how everything went the previous year. So this was for the 2019-20 fiscal year that they have to go and report in June. But obviously the board of regents, it's, it's an open uh, public hearing. They have to put out a meeting agenda. So as soon as I saw that in my email, I went and I clicked through all these links and Nevada's report is uh, 676 pages. That's a lot of reading, but I did find on page 37, there was a note in there about how the university was going to give the Wolfpack Athletic Department up to $12 million to cover its COVID-19 pandemic financial hole. So that's a ton of money. And I could see, you know, people who support the university looking at that two ways. Why are you giving athletics $12 million? Like that's a lot of money to give athletics. But on the other hand, you could say, well, why is athletics being expected to be completely self-funded. There's no other department on campus that I know of 
that is completely self-funded, whether it's a journalism school or a business school or the engineering school, like they all take some university money. And you could argue that athletics is a worthwhile place to put 10 to $12 million in addition to the institutional funds that the department already gets. But there was going to be a huge hole because of this pandemic, because you weren't able to have fans in the stands in football and men's basketball, the two revenue sports. You were not able to play non-conference games in football. I mean, Nevada not playing at Arkansas cost the school $1.6 million. That's a lot of money to make up. You don't have concessions and uh, you know sponsorships in the stadium as much as you would have in previous years. So Nevada's estimated 2021 fiscal year shortfall is $8 million. Now we still have a month to go in this fiscal year, so that could change. So this should cover most of that. It is worth noting that Nevada went into the pandemic year with a $6 million budget deficit to start with that was accumulated over several years. So finances have been a big, big issue for the Wolfpack over the years because they don't sell enough football tickets more than anything else. I mean, Mackey Stadium is usually a third full. And if that's going to be the case, you're going to struggle to make ends meet. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting to see because I, that was a question I had going into the end of this fiscal year is who's going to pay for this shortfall. And it is going to be the university who's going to you know do a solid for the athletic department and kind of cover that hole just for this year. I mean, you can't really say how big this is. I mean, this would have been crippling to a university that is underfunded athletically in the first place. I mean, I, I look at past administrations and you, I, th I think of, you know, back when we had recessions and, and that sort of things compared to this and wonder if there's a difference under a Johnson or under a Glick or under a, a Crowley, would there have been a difference? I don't know that there would have been because I think, I think you're right. You can't expect when, it, when a team can't go play, and money that is expected if you're expecting a bonus check clark griswold and christmas vacation to pay for your pool and you don't get it how can you be expected to pay for that pool you know so i i i certainly think that this this would have happened either way and i think it's going to be a, a huge shot in the arm uh, for the athletic department and it's something that uh, you know might save uh, might literally save some sports coming up next here on nsn daily wolfpack baseball team with a big series at home this weekend we've been talking about it we're going to continue to talk about it and how more fans are going to be let into piccoli park that is don weir field at piccoli park from nevada san jose state as they try and get back to the ncaa regionals for the first time in 20 years that's next Well, I don't know the last time Nevada baseball had a series this big at home or this series, this big period. Um, you know, it reminds me of back in the Big West days playing Cal Fullerton or, or a Long Beach State and that sort of thing. And granted, this is not a team of those calibers coming in this weekend, Chris, but uh, you've mapped it out and, and gone through the, uh, the algebra to, uh, to see what Nevada has to do to win a Mountain West championship. But uh, there is no reason why this team uh, should not be absolutely ready they're rested and they have a chance to get back to the NCAA regionals, which I, I, I didn't take for granted back in, you know, the late nineties, but uh, it's, it, it's something that this team has a chance to put their stamp on a very special season. Yeah. And I know we focus quite a bit on the NCAA tournament, but let's focus on winning a mountain West championship, which has been a rare occurrence for the Wolfpack. The Wolfpack moved into this conference in 2012. They've only won seven Mountain West championships in all of its sports combined over now nine years. So that's less than one per year. Last time they did it, 
2019 men's basketball want to share the regular season championship with Utah State. So to potentially just win a conference championship, I think is a big deal for this program. It would be the third time they've done that. Men's basketball has done it four times. Women's swimming and diving has done it once. So this is a program that since 2015 has been very, very competitive in the Mountain West. And for them to potentially go and clinch the Mountain West championship, I think is a big thing for TJ Bruce, let alone what that means in the long term, which would be playing an NCAA tournament for the first time in 21 years. That's obviously an ultimate goal, but just to be able to navigate this 32 game Mountain West schedule and to be able to say you were the best team over that, uh, 32 game schedule, I think is a, a huge accomplishment for TJ Bruce and his guys if it does happen. And as we've mentioned, they're playing a San Jose State team that's lost 13 straight games. They're six and 26 this year. Uh, all Nevada has to do is win two of the four contests against the Spartans to clinch that Mountain West title. So things look really good. But, you know, I guess you can't take it for granted 100% right now. They still do have to go out there and play good baseball. But if they play anywhere near how they've played the last six weeks, that shouldn't be much of an issue. Can we talk for a second about just what this team has done since the beginning of COVID season last year? Um, it was a disaster last year. We all know that. There's no reason to, to dwell on that. But the season didn't start great this year in, in Mountain West play. You talk about the non-conference. It was only the Cal Poly series. That was really great. And then this team, just something clicked. And they have been absolutely on fire for you know the last whatever half of the season. Um, to turn this around like that, it's amazing to me, but it also tells you the resilience of this coaching staff and of these players that have gone through a really bad year. Then the entire uncertainty of COVID, you start okay, not great Mountain West play, and now you can win a championship. I, I, I really have to credit this team's resiliency. It's an interesting team under TJ Bruce because you look at Nevada and Mountain West games since he was hired before the 2016 season, they're 89 and 50 in Mountain West games. In non-conference games, the exact same roster, 50 and 90. And I know Nevada plays a difficult non-conference schedule, but it's not that difficult. Uh, to where you're winning 64% of your conference games and 35% of your non-conference games. Uh, that's just really weird to me. So I don't know if they're doing something different in conference games or in Mountain West play that just get the best out of them. Obviously, most of your non-conference series can include Tuesday games, so maybe it's just pitching depth, but that's just such a weird stat to me that they've been great in conference games. The best winning percentage in the Mountain West for all of Nevada's programs since they moved into the conference uh, in, in conference games, but in non-conference games, you know, they've been really, really poor in terms of win-loss records. So that's what I'm most looking forward to projecting forward to a regional uh, with a team that's lost eight straight non-conference games. Will they be able to bring what they do in Mountain West games up to that level when they get to a regional and potentially, you know, make a run and beat some of the better, you know, top 50-ish kind of teams in the nation. Uh, just in terms of this year's turnaround, I just think it comes down to offense. And I know TJ Bruce loves his pitching and defense. That's why they won a championship uh, with UCLA when he was an assistant coach there. But I think you, you got to hit when you're in Nevada and you're playing at altitude. You're not going to win a lot of games four to three. Like you got to put up seven, eight, nine runs per game like Jay Johnson's teams did. And this is by far the best hitting team that TJ Bruce has had over the last three or four years. And I think that's the biggest difference. Josh Amora was not. Dario Gomez is hitting awesome. Dylan Trum has been awesome. Obviously, Tyler Bosetti with home runs in nine straight games has been awesome. Jacob Stinson has been awesome. You have a really deep lineup right now, whereas in the beginning of the season, it was one or two guys you had to pitch well. And now you've got to get through nine really good hitters 
uh, to be able to, you know, quiet these bats. And it just hasn't happened. Mountain West pitching has not been able to do it. They've had a little bit more struggles against non-conference pitching, but um, you know, that's the thing I'm mostly looking forward to projecting forward is whether Nevada will be able to bring that a game against some better opponents. Nevada has won 11 straight non-conference or Mountain West conference games. It's, it's believed to be the longest in program history, at least since back in, back in 74, this team hasn't lost a conference game in over a month. And, you know, I, we, we kind of talked with TJ about it and I think coaches uh, maybe feel differently about their strategy and whatever about, you know, your team's playing so hot. Now you get a week off after the UCLA game. Uh, wh where would you be with the Teal Pirates? Would you want to keep playing or would you want to have some, some time to rest and kind of gear up for this final home series? Where would you be? I'm fine with resting. I mean, like I said, San Jose State's not that big of a challenge in terms of the strength of the team. So even if you have like a bad Friday game and you lose that one, you still got to feel pretty confident. Uh, you know, I, I do think just having a little bit of rest for your pitcher's arms, especially going into a regional setting, because in a regional, there's a chance you might have to play four or five games in like three days. So you want your guys as prepared for a potential long series in a regional. So having this week off, I think, has been very beneficial when you look long term, even if they show a little bit of rust on Friday. Should be fun. Uh, the game time has been moved up on Friday night from 6 p.m. to 5 p.m. If you want to check it out, 348 pack is the number for tickets. They are allowing uh, some more people to get in and uh, yeah. Uh, it's funny to drive by Piccoli Park now and see uh, you can see through the fence with that brand new renovation and the brand new scoreboard and everything video board. It is a beautiful facility. And, and uh, you know, Don Weir threw a ton of money as, as an alum at a brand new uh, surface, but to see people tailgating um, and drive by that is, is really, really cool. We'll of course have full coverage on Friday night and then all weekend long here on Nevada Sportsnet. Check the website, Nevada Sportsnet. Com. We'll be right back with more here on NSN Daily right after this. The following segment is sponsored by Rail City Ale House. Well, it's Thursday. That means we uh, have our favorite netminder and best dressed executive join us uh, here on NSN Daily. Rail City Todd, Todd DeRemer. Follow him on Twitter at Rail City Todd, and you'll know exactly what's going on in the world of hockey. His uh, Islanders closed out. Uh, Todd, congratulations. And, and your bet came in. It did. It did. My prediction of Islanders and six came in. Uh, the, the Penguins just didn't have what it takes, I guess, in the series. Uh, let's start off with, uh, with some hockey. I mean, Chris and I talked about this earlier this week, um, where a goalie can literally take over a series in the postseason. How does that happen? Being a netminder yourself at the highest level of amateur hockey, we yeah. have here in Northern Nevada. Um, how can a goalie take over a series? So, so there's a couple ways. So you look at the Islander Sorokin, for example. So he comes in, um, he, he ends up playing the first game of the series based upon an injury, plays great. And then, um, you know, the Penguins don't really have a book on him yet. And so he's starting to learn their tendencies, right? And then in the process, they bring Berlamov in for two, which they have a book on him. They start lighting him up. They already knew the historic um, value of Rolomov and really um, that's how it starts. And then, so you come back to him, who knows what would happen if they'd have played him the entire series, whether they would have won in four or five or whether it were closed out sooner. Um, so there's a little bit of a unknown weakness in the goalie. And then the other thing you see in a series is as the series goes on, the more the goalie plays against the other team, they learn tendencies. And so you'll start to see um, that's how someone like Sorokin knows 
when they come into Deke, they're going to go backhand, right side, left side. They're going to do that stuff. Um, and that just, that really favors a goalie. So the longer the series goes on, the goalie just picks up that stuff. Shooters have much more tendencies that's hard to break than a goalie does. Um, the goalie kind of has to be prepared for whatever it takes. And the shooter kind of has their thing that always works. So once you learn that stuff and you see what they're doing, um, you can pick that up. That's how Cam Talbot does against the Knights, right? He he picked that stuff up through the series and, you know, it looked like two totally different teams last night than it did in game, you know, three. Uh, you look at the game where the Knights literally ran the entire second period and the Wild got one shot. Talbot can weather the storm because he's used to what they're going to do when they come down each time. We'll get to the Knights and the Wild series in a second. Chris, is there another sport that you can think of where one person can be that much of an X factor. I mean, Madison Bumgarner won the Giants the World Series in 2014, but he did, he can't pitch every single game. And you look at guys like Waugh and Andre Fleury, a quick, you know, being able to kind of man a series themselves. Is there any other sport where a person can can really take that role? It doesn't happen in baseball. I mean, you look at the 2002 World Series. I think Barry Bonds was basically uh, impossible to get out. And still the Angels beat the Giants in that series. So, um, you know, it, it's pretty unique to the NHL. I mean, you see it a little bit in basketball because you can have a guy go out there and, you know, LeBron can just carry a team. Um, but you need guys to hit down open shots uh, in situations like that. We just saw with the most recent Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes is amazing. But he had no offensive line in that game against the Bucs, and he didn't get anything going. So um, I think it is really unique. Now, I mean, defense matters as well in the NHL. We give all the credit to the goaltenders, and they deserve a lot of it. But you look at this uh, Panthers-Lightning series that just finished, and the Lightning won that in six games. The Panthers were atrocious on defense. So then the goalies looked like they had a horrible series. And I'm not saying the goalies played well in that series, but the defense in front of them was just really, really poor. So if you're going to pick one sport where one man can just basically, you know, win a series for you, I do think the NHL and goaltending is the most likely of our four major sports. Speaking of the Knights in the wild, uh, this is going to be the ticket Friday. Mobile is going to be lit for game seven of the Minnesota wild and the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Todd, where am I throwing my money? So I, I really like the Wild in this, right? Um, the Knights haven't closed out a series at home yet. Um, I, I'm having uh, a flashback of the Sharks when they played the Sharks and the way the Sharks closed it out against them. Um, they came out and won strong early, and then, you know, the Sharks kind of got a hold of them and kind of uh, put them, you know, where they needed to be, I guess, in that series. And I'm afraid that's going to happen uh, this series as well. I think the Wild have just figured it out. Talbot's got to come up with one more big game, and that's really it. And so next series is a whole other thing because now you roll into the abs, right? And that's a total different team than the Knights right now. Chris, where are you feeling? I'll go with the Knights. I'll pick the home state team. It's a coin flip. I mean, the, the Wild clearly outplayed Vegas in the last game two games ago. I thought, it, you know, Vegas played pretty well in that game. They just didn't score. Um, you know, they didn't convert their opportunities. So things are not trending great in their direction. But, uh, you know, being at home, I don't know that that's a huge advantage. But, you know, they have a very veteran goalie who's been in huge games and been able to rise his game to that occasion. So I, I will go with Vegas to win in game seven and advance to the next round. Uh, two games tonight, depending on what time you're watching this show, you get the Habs and the Leafs at uh, 4 o'clock, NBCSN for both puck drops. 6.30, it'll be Carolina and Nashville. Friday night, you can see Minnesota, Vegas, NBC, SN at uh, 6 p.m. I want to check that out. Uh, let's go to the NBA, Todd. A um, couple of questions here. Is Chris Paul just jinxed 
when it comes to the playoffs. Let's get to that first. I mean, it seems like sometimes guys just get to a certain level or a moment and it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I, I think there's there's some things that happen, right? Like um, they've carried the team all season and then all of a sudden now they, they can't do it. And so um, whether injuries get in the way or mentally, that, that starts to slow them down and then the injury affects them worse than it did before. I mean, you watch, going back to hockey for a second, you watch the game last night. It was interesting as the Penguins were starting to get down, the amount of guys that started to get hurt, started to go out, came back. You see Zucker leaves the second period. I thought he was done the way it looked like he was so injured. And then all of a sudden he comes out and plays fine in the third. Um, what happens there, right? Is it psychologically like we're down um, now the injury feels worse than it is. And, and so I think a lot of that becomes psychologically in the playoffs and, and what's the rest of the team doing. Chris, we've seen this happen with some of the best athletes on the planet. I mean, Durant goes down. We've seen him go down. Westbrook uh, rolled an ankle and had popcorn thrown at him last night. And that fan got a, a lifelong ban from the arena, which I think is deserved. Uh, sometimes the pressure, even to some of these elite athletes, mentally and physically, just becomes too much. Well, yeah, I mean, Kevin Durant, like popping his Achilles, I don't think that's a pressure thing. I think that's a bad luck thing, but it just seems like Chris Paul's had that bit, this bad luck a lot. I mean, you go back to the 2018 playoffs in the Western Conference Finals between the Rockets and the Golden State Warriors, and the Rockets are up three games to two, and then Chris Paul suffers a hamstring injury, and that basically lost the series for the Rockets. If he's healthy, they probably win game seven, and they are probably playing in the NBA championship, and they probably win the NBA championship over what was a pretty compromised Cavaliers team in 2018. So, I mean, Chris Paul, to me, is probably the best basketball player to never make it to an NBA Finals. And you can attribute some, some to his play, but he's just been really snake bitten in the playoffs. And if I had to attribute it to anything, I would just say it's bad luck. I mean, he's a smaller guy, so he's going to be a little bit more injury prone. But, you know, in game one of this series, he just ran into one of his teammates. It's not like, you know, he was doing anything wrong. But for whatever reason, it just seems like whenever Chris Paul gets in a really good position where potentially he could make a run with his team, something happens to him. And that's just really unfortunate for one of the best point guards of this generation. All right, we'll talk about Chris's NBA team before we get to the OKG and what's going on over at Rail City this weekend. Lakers uh, hosting the Suns in game three of that series. Uh, series is tied 1-1. Uh, Todd, what are your thoughts on the Lakers right now? The line that I'm seeing at this moment is uh, Lakers by seven. I think the Lakers are tough, right? You got LeBron and AD come out and they just put up 57 points in game two. I think that's just becomes too strong. They also came out with the shutdown defense towards the end of the game. So they played great D at the end as well. So I think the Lakers are going to be too tough for this. And, and if Chris Paul is not there, I think it's done, right? Chris, what are your thoughts? I agree. I would, uh, you know, give the points and, and still pick the Lakers to win this uh, game by more than seven. I think a lot of it comes down to Devin Booker. He's a phenomenal young player, but you saw in game two, he, it didn't look like he was quite ready for the moment when Chris Paul was limited. Like this is a, a kind of superstar all-star that needs to say, be like, okay, my, my main guy's down. I got to go out and get 40. I got to go out and make 15 assists. Like I got to go out and beat two really good players in LeBron and Anthony Davis. And you know, those two had been banged up for a lot of the year. And I think the more the Lakers play, the better they're going to seems to be healthy for the first time in several months for this team. Yeah. I think the Lakers win this game by 10. I mean, I think that's a one 10, 100 sort of game. And I think the Suns are just kind of now wondering, all right, who's next and who's going to step up and who's going to be that piece. Uh, Todd, what's going on at uh, the Yale house this weekend. I know you guys are always, uh, the food specials are great, and you're always giving stuff away. 
Yeah, so we got a lot of stuff happening this weekend. So this weekend's our first weekend for Rail City After Dark. And so um, that's got three components in it. We have Bingo After Dark. Um, we've been running that for a little while, but we also have Blackjack After Dark in the pit. It changes up a little bit at 10 o'clock. And then we also have the Ale House After Dark. So from 10 to 2, we have a DJ in the Ale House. Um, we have a food menu with uh, five items for five bucks. So whatever you pick, it's five bucks. And then we also have a $1.50 Coors Light special. Um, and then $4 high noons. This is a new, it's like a truly drink, but it's a seltzer drink that people are really um, starting to rave about. So we just brought that in um, a couple of weeks ago and we're going to run those for four bucks, which is a great deal for that. And then you'll have the DJ in there playing and, and partying up. So we're thinking that this weekend, um, knowing people have really wanted to get out this weekend's their weekend to do it. And we're going to kick that off. And then starting June 1st, we have an all new alehouse food menu again, and um, the chef's cooking up some great stuff. We have a new dessert menu. My favorite key lime pie is going to be on there. Um, some tiramisu, some chocolate cake, some New York cheesecake. So we're rolling out a lot of stuff in June. So this weekend just kind of starts that piece of it. See, now I now I understand why Chris has requested to have his schedule changed. DJ C. Murr is going to be out on the scene spinning some tracks. Uh, June 1st is uh, rapidly approaching, and we know we've heard different ma mask mandates. Any, any safety changes or anything with you guys have come up? When, uh, when you hit that June 1st? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so June 1st, there's no more occupancy restraints. So the alehouse will be able to run a little bit more high volume than it even has. Um, also, you lose the social distancing piece starting June 1st. So every slot machine can be on next to each other and you kind of lose that piece. We'll pick up another um, chair on the blackjack tables. We'll run four chairs instead of three. Um, we won't load it up with you know five, six or seven chairs. We still think that the comfort matters for four chairs. Um, playing blackjack, we still want to do that. Um, also gives you the ability to play two hands if you want to and and still keep the keep the table flowing. Um, so that's that's what's happening um, starting June 1st with the restrictions. What are you giving away to players this week? We have um, what used to be in the day called a six pack cooler. Now they use the term three and a half quarter, whatever it is. But I still call it a six pack cooler because the six pack drops right in there. That's where giving away on Saturday. Yeah, you never go wrong with that going into the summer months and people going to get back outside take their favorite frosty beverage wherever they want to go. Who's our OKG of the week, our kind of guy, our kind of gal? So we have a food and beverage supervisor. Her name is Zena Ramirez, and she's been here a long time. Um, don't even know exactly um, how long she's been here, but she's been here a long time. She's moved around to a couple departments, and um, she just does great things for us. The Yale House consistently goes up and down from a staffing standpoint. So she'll come in seven days a week. Today's her day off. We have some people filling in down there. She'll call in, hey, this is how the register works. Help them out. If you need anything, give me a call back. She's just there for us. We can de depend on her. And Zena is one of those that uh, is the best at Rail City. She lives the Rail City way. And she's got a cool name. Zena Ramirez, you're our, our, our kind of gal of the week. Uh, Todd, you know what? I, I think... Uh, they want to have to take, uh, take some money and then uh, go down there and throw uh, throw a few bets down. I'm, I'm getting a good feeling about some of this stuff. Appreciate it every single week, sir. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good weekend. We'll be right back with more here on NSN Daily right after this. This segment sponsored by the following. You know, Chris, when it comes to the pandemic, everybody's been affected. I mean, you and I are doing our, our show from home and we're trying to get back to the station and get back to some sort of normalcy in a very safe way. But our local high school athletes are really affected by this as well. And I can't imagine, you know, a season being taken away from me or mom and dad can't watch you play or that sort of thing. But um, this young man that we were featuring 
uh, this week. It's our Meadows Bank feature. Um, Ryan Gwynn has overcome so much. Um, this guy, to be able to perform at the level that he is, is it's truly an incredible story. Yeah, he had to have a couple of heart surgeries uh, before he was two years old. And that's obviously uh, something as a kid he probably doesn't remember much of. But as parents of that kid and to be told that your little son has to have heart surgery, that has to be completely frightening. So for him to be able to recover from that and for his parents to be able to see him be one of the fastest runners in the Reno area at the high school level, I'm sure has to be really fulfilling for them to see that the things that he had to go through shortly after being born has not limited him in any way from an athletic standpoint as he's gotten older and become a teenager and now uh, heading off to college soon. Let us introduce you to Reno High's Ryan Gwynn. Meet Reno High's Ryan Gwynn, a senior who takes running with heart to the next level. Born with two heart defects that ultimately required open heart surgery at the young age of 13 months old. Well, the weird thing is, is when I first like went in to get like checked out by just like any other baby does, is they didn't detect anything. So they, there was like a murmur. And so they were like, oh, this happens in a lot of babies. Like just come back later and we'll check on it again. And when we went back, that's when they were like, this is a, this is a big problem. So he had a, an anomalous right coronary artery and um, he also had a, something called an AP window, which was another connection. And so blood was just, going all different kinds of ways. And um, they were able to, um, I don't know, he went in and it was a very scary time and it was, you know, very, it was just horrible. However, after a successful surgery at Stanford, Gwyn is able to live a strong, healthy life where he's one of Northern Nevada's fastest sprinters, placing first and second in multiple finishes this season. Ryan's mom said she's thankful for the doctors that helped give Ryan a second chance and says if you have any doubt something's wrong, don't hesitate, get checked up. Oh, not to give up hope and you know, the doctors are amazing and if you don't get, um, a, a, you know, if a diagnosis seems, you know, insurmountable, you know, look into it and, and talk to these doctors that um, are out there. They can, they can help and they do amazing things these days. So. The senior is beginning a new chapter as he heads to Gonzaga to continue his education. Gwyn adds a piece of advice to those athletes chasing their dream. Uh, it comes down to putting in the work and getting out there. I don't want to sound cliche, but putting in the work when no one else is and just trying your best. and. Do everything you can in your power, and that's all you can ask for. You know, the more that I read about Ryan, Chris, I, I love the fact that, I mean, if you're in track and field, uh, the individual events are great. I love being on a relay team. I love being part of a team, you know, and, and being on the four by one, the four by two, four by four, which is a lot of fun. Um, it it kind of tells you a little bit more about this young man that he, he wants to be sort of attitude. He's going to go to Gonzaga where they don't have a men's track and field. They, they only have longer distances there, but he's a big hoops fan. He wants to be able to go there and watch basketball. And uh, our former employee, Brenna Green, had told us how they camp out on campus. Uh, certainly going to be a fun experience to go up there to Spokane. Athletics is one of the really cool things about, uh, you know, going to a college. And that's, you know, as we mentioned in our first segment, I mean, I think you could say it's worthwhile to spend tens of millions of dollars on athletics because it does bring such 
uh, you know, great marketing and publicity to your school if you are a school like Gonzaga. So yeah, that's a great school. I've been up there many times. My brother got his undergraduate degree from Gonzaga. So I've been to graduations and things of that nature up there. Uh, you know, get a little bit cold in Spokane, but it's a really beautiful area. They really do embrace uh, you know, their athletics as well. But just from an academic standpoint, I mean, he's picking a really fine school to go to. And, uh, you know, who knows if there's any athletics in his future at the college level, but, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll be attending quite a few games. It's not the easiest ticket to get in town because their arena is very small uh, for a top 10 kind of team. But um, yeah, I mean, there's some some great moments up there with Gonzaga basketball, Wait and Ryan, I'm sure. He wants to study uh, consumer uh, computer science, not consumer science, but that'd probably be a good subject too, but uh, computer science when he's up there at Gonzaga, that's our Meadows Bank uh, focus on uh, high school athletes. And uh, Ryan Gwynn uh, takes the spotlight this week. Uh, we uh, wish him the best of luck. We'll be right back with more here on NSN Daily right after this. Chris, just, this seems to come back around every few years. I mean, like every 10 years, I guess. Uh, it's conference expansion. Who's going to move where? Where's Boise State going to go this week? And uh, one of the questions we've been asked, you've been asked, uh, is, uh, you know, if the Pac-12 decided to expand, what Mountain West schools or what West Coast schools? And I shouldn't even say West Coast because, you know, Boise State to the Big East was, we thought was a slam dunk. So I guess um, your thoughts initially when, when you think of the Pac-12, should they expand what Mountain West schools or schools do you think they would try and snag? I think this is inspired by a question I got in my mailbag this week from a mailbag question man. Uh, and he asked me, a new Pac-12 commissioner expressing a potential desire for conference expansion, who are the most likely teams to be added? And I mentioned in the article, like they would go after a Texas or an Oklahoma, like a really program and conference changing kind of school. But I just don't see those schools leaving. And it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to see the Pac-12 at a Mountain West school, because right now Pac-12 schools get roughly $34 million per year from the conference. So if you add another school, that school is going to have to add at least $34 million just for the pie to be still cut evenly enough to where you, you know, break even. And I just don't see a school in the Mountain West right now that would do that. But if you want to give me, uh, you know, a top five in the Mountain West, I did put that on the the mailbag. And, you know, my number five school was Air Force. I think there's always something really intriguing about military academies. I just don't think it's a fit for the Pac-12. Um, so I don't think that's happening, but that would be my number five. My number four would be Colorado State. They did just uh, build a brand new, beautiful football stadium. Um, they do put a lot of money into athletics. I mean, they pay their football coaches, their basketball coaches, but they haven't really excelled in either of those sports. So I think that's their major stumbling block. Number three would be UNLV. The market size is great. I mean, that's what you add these teams for is market size and football teams. So the market size is there. The football team is not there. And UNLV has never been good in football. And I just don't see the Pac-12 adding a team that would be an anchor on its football operation. Number two would be Boise State. I mean, Boise State has the football, but it doesn't have the media market. It's in a very small city uh, comparatively. Uh, they're not going to bring a lot of eyeballs into the Pac-12. And academically, they're nowhere near what the Pac-12 would want to add. So that one also seems like a long shot. My number one team would be San Diego State. I think that's the most realistic. You're talking about a top 30 media market in the nation. Geographically, it's a great fit. They're top 25 in basketball every year. Uh, they're fringe top 25 in football every year. And they're building a brand new football stadium as well. So the facilities are up to par. Uh, I just don't see a Mountain West school getting an invite with my ranking of the top five. In terms of Nevada, like that's not happening. I mean, Nevada struggles in a lot of its sports in the Mountain West. So I think, I think Nevada is in a perfect conference for itself. 
and should be really happy about that and maybe let these other schools try and, you know, chase the dream of playing in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think Nevada fans need to be realistic here. And I mean, it, it, the, the Pac-12, like some conferences, obviously they like to take over a state. You know, they enjoy having Arizona, Arizona State. You've got Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, Nevada, UNLV. Oh, what would that work? I just, I just don't see it happening. And then somebody would argue with me about, well, the media market, you talk about the media market. Well, Spokane's not huge. Corvallis isn't huge. Uh, yeah, but I mean, these are established institutions that have fans that will drive halfway across the state and will donate money and will buy season tickets and that sort of thing. You know, yeah. I, and then when you talk about San Diego State, I see all four of the California Pac-12 schools going, oh, God, no, and looking down their nose and going, no, we're not going to allow a CSU school, Cal State, California State University School to join our Know, our, our golden tower. I just don't see that happening. Uh, we did talk about Gonzaga earlier in the show. Granted, um, Gonzaga would, one, Gonzaga needs a football team. I mean, you're not going to get into the Pac-12 without a football team. Um, where would you land on Gonzaga BYU? BYU, I don't think is ever going to get an invite. I mean, if that was going to happen, it would have happened during the last uh, conference realignment when Utah was invited and Colorado was invited and BYU was not invited. I think there are some issues in terms of the kind of institution that it is uh, compared to what the Pac-12 uh, is, is wanting. In terms of Gonzaga, like I don't think it'd be stupid for them to, for the Pac-12 to add Gonzaga as a basketball only member. I think that'd be a very smart move if Gonzaga could keep its other sports in the WCC. I think that'd be good for Gonzaga. It'd be tested quite a bit more. So when they get to the NCAA tournament, it's not like they haven't played a top 25 team in a couple of months. So I wouldn't completely rule that out. You know, I think it would make sense for both sides. It's just Gonzaga has gotten to a point where they kind of control everything the WCC does in terms of the conference tournament uh, schedule. They get a double buy uh, in terms of getting more of their NCAA tournament unit money, uh, which the Pac-12 wouldn't do for them. So, you know, I think they're probably pretty comfortable, but I wouldn't be shocked if Gonzaga got a partial invitation. I don't think anybody wants to do that as a conference commissioner, have yeah. members. But if this is a unique situation, because Gonzaga is a top five team year in and year out. And if you can add that to your other schools, you know, your UCLA's, your USC has been very good of late. Oregon's usually a top 15 school. That might be something that they look at. But, you know, with a new conference commissioner, I mean, this is a guy who used to run uh, MGM. Like this is not a traditional hire. So he's from Vegas. He's going to do things outside of the box. Uh, with the media, you know, coverage and, and those kinds of contracts, but he maybe he does something outside of the box with the uh, alignment of the teams as well. Interesting, interesting topic that we always, it's fun to kick around and, uh, and just uh, discuss, okay, who could go where and that sort of thing. But uh, uh, another mailbag question by literally at mailbag question. We'll be right back to wrap things up on NSN Daily right after this. That's going to do it for us here on NSN Daily. Thank you very much for being with us. I want to thank uh, Real City Todd for, for all of his picks. And uh, if you want to check it out, uh, we didn't have time for it. Wolfpack golfers, a pair of them, fell an inch short from winning the U.S. Amateur Four Ball. Brendan McDougall and Sam Meek, uh, just a heartbreaking finish. Chris has got the write-up of that on our website. For Chris Murray, see you next time.